We want to continue to praise the Lord and through the teaching of His Word and His Scriptures that give us uh, insight into who He is and how He would have us to live. And I have an outline that you will find very, very helpful today because, uh, especially today, and some of the things we want to focus on, and it's all about story, telling the story of our freedom. We want to be able to communicate that story of freedom that we have enjoyed. I want to remind you, I sent an email out this last week, and I was intrigued by the story of uh, 100th anniversary of the gospel coming to a nation in the continent of Africa. And uh, in this convention of uh, gathered folks, they were honoring the various uh, people involved in that. And there was one elderly man that remembers the day when the missionaries came to his village. And as those missionaries gathered together in this convention, he stood up and he says, I'm a very old man and I don't want to take my story with me to the grave. And uh, in that time, he shared with them about how the missionaries had come to his community and shared the gospel. They didn't trust them. They didn't like them. They didn't want them to be there. Uh, They were in opposition to them. In fact, they were in so much opposition to them that they began to give poison to them in the food that they gave to them. And over the course of, uh, I don't know, months or years, as they would subtly poison these people, some of the missionaries' children began to die because they couldn't resist that poison. And then this elderly man who has come to know Christ said what turned around their testimony and their ministry to us is as we watched how they died, we chose to follow Jesus. It was in this journey of watching them live their lives of following Jesus even in the midst of death and losing their children, and the testimony of their personal lives, living the faith they claim to teach and believe in, that that was the transformational experience for them. And so we want to see how the telling of our stories can have such impact upon people's lives. And Paul is about to tell his story. Let me highlight it. In Galatians, where we are spending our time here, we began it last week. I'm going to pick up where we left off last time. And last time we emphasized how important the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And there are so many that want to distort it. And he was amazed that so many are quickly deserting Jesus who called you by the grace of Christ for a very different gospel. Then he says, here is what happens to the true gospel. In verse 11 it says this, in chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to, to follow along. It says, for I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither reserved it, received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism upon beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia, and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that would be Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. And I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Literally, it was like his half-brother. 
Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. And of course, he wants to verify the truthfulness of his testimony because it's his story. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. That's a story. It's an amazing story of the Apostle Paul. And the whole practical application of this, it breaks down very simply, but the practical application is that we all have a story to tell. And my emphasis this morning is Paul's emphasis that much as he told his story, I want each of us to tell our story. So let's break it down in this way. You notice the beginning of the story of the freedom. Your spiritual freedom begins with this revelation of Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 1, he talks about this revelation. It always is a, an act of God. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Men tend to add to the gospel. Men tend to take away from the gospel. And that would include women. Men and women. I'm not trying to pile on men. I think women, they can be bad too. (laughs) We believe in equal rights here, so it swings both ways. People, good enough people, people will add things like baptism, communion, sacraments, um, raising your hand, walking the aisle, filling out a card, things that we do that somehow make us make sure we're saved. People will also take away from the gospel. They'll take away things in terms of not really having to believe that Jesus was truly the Son of God, that he was just a good man or a great prophet, and just follow him. They'll take away aspects of the Scripture that really delude the fullness of the faith that they should have in Christ. So he is saying, I didn't take it from people or men But he says here in verse 12, For I neither received it from man nor as I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's what Jesus did in his life that makes the difference. It's not what I say. It's not what you say. It's what Jesus does. That's what counts. Sometimes we get overhyped. You know, you're sitting somewhere and you want to share the gospel with somebody. You want to share their testimony. Remember Matt Doan came up here last week and he shared about sitting next to this uh, what apparently was a Muslim man on the airplane trying to find a doorway in which he could share Christ to him. Well, we're always sitting there next to somebody who probably doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, and we're always thinking, it's up to me, at least I hope we're thinking, at least we have this urgency, that it's all about what I say that will make the difference in their lives. What you're going to see in Paul's testimony, it was not what any man said to him, but it was what Jesus did for him, and then he shows how Jesus did it in his life, and then he says, now I want you to show how Jesus did it in your life. So this is where he is going, and he wants us to make sure we don't have anybody that gets in the way of that. So be willing to share the story of how the gospel of Jesus has changed your life. That's what Paul then does. You notice that he begins by telling about his story before he became a believer, pre-conversion experiences. Then he tells the story of when he became a believer. Then he tells the story of after he became a believer. These are the things that change. Those are the three parts that all of us have somewhere in the recesses of our memories that we can share with someone else. So he goes on and says here in verse 13, 
He says to his former way of life. If you have heard of my former manner of life. So it begins to unpack some of the things that he did previously. In verse 13 it says, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. And the first thing that he talks about in his former manner of life was how sinful he was. No sin is too great. No sin is too too small for God to forgive. Notice what he says in verse 13. How he used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. In point of fact, if you turn over to Acts chapter 8, you will notice that he was in hearty agreement with the stoning of Stephen, one of the greatest saints that has ever lived. After Stephen was stoned, he fell on his knees and said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. In verse 1 of chapter 8, and Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose in the church of Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison, and some of them he would kill. So Paul was a murderer. Paul was a harasser. Paul was an abuser. He should have gone through the sexual harassment course that we just had to take last week so that he wouldn't do those terrible things. That was a joke. (laughs) Sometimes there are some people you will encounter, as I have, that they believe that I've done so many bad things God could never forgive me. I could never uh, have those sins forgiven and removed from my life. Paul murdered people. Paul beat up people. Paul bullied people. Paul was one of the worst sinners ever. He says that in 1 Timothy 1. I was the chief of all sinners. No one was a bigger sinner than I am or was, he says. So we see that no sin is too great. I was intrigued by a story that I came across this last week in the news. And this shows that God is still a mighty God doing great and mighty things. You know, we're in this war and the ISIS fighters and those who are coming out of Islam. I was intrigued by a story by the fellow, his name is Rashid. Rashid was an ISIS fighter. And Rashid heard about a pastor, his name was Paul, that was in the region of uh, Syria and some of these areas where the ISIS fight is carrying on. Paul was one who was distributing Bibles in these regions, and that's forbidden. And so Rashid found out about Paul. He's a pastor. He has a family there. And so Rashid did, in fact, it's interesting to me, he, he did what I just shared with you about this uh, tribe that was in Africa. He began to poison the family. And Paul's daughter, who's a teenager, became deathly sick and went into a coma. So Rashid was watching this play out after having poisoned the family, and the daughter somehow got the worst of it. So he stood outside the hospital as this daughter was fighting for her life. He was waiting for her to literally die so that he could go and steal her body and then make Paul, his, her, the father, pay a ransom to get the body back. Well, as Rashid was watching the hospital, this is what he said. He said, I saw a ball of light come down from the sky, stand over the room where his daughter was lying unconscious. He says, I trembled with fear. I felt giddy and fell down. My friends moved me from there at once. And as he was confused about what happened, the daughter came to life and was healed miraculously. 
And he was taken back by that. And he says this. He was confused by what this was that he went through. And he had a dream that night. And he had a Bible in this motel room that he was staying at, wherever this was. And so he began to thumb through it. He had heard about the Scriptures, but never really had read it before. And he came across the verse John 1, 9 through 10. That was the true light, which, light, which lights every man that comes into this world. And Rashid recited that verse, and he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And he began to understand that the light of John 1 was the light of Jesus. Jesus is doing miracles for Muslims to come to faith. And he eventually went to see Paul after having this spectacular, miraculous event take place and encountered Paul. And Paul said this to Rashid as Rashid confessed his sin and didn't expect Paul to, to forgive him. Paul says, I was once an enemy of Jesus Christ, but he loved me. He was crucified. He gave his life for me. Then he rose from the dead. Because of his love, I can love you. Because Christ loves you, I believe Jesus Christ brought you here to share this love and to find salvation. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, Paul said to Rashid. He will give you peace if you accept him as your Savior. And at that point, Rashid gave his life to Christ. Now, God is doing major things. In the story of the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, a great light from heaven came. It was the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ dramatically saved him after that event, after he was baptized, or after he was blinded, and a man came and ministered to him and shared the gospel. Paul was saved similarly in the same general area of the Middle East. And we, in our very secularized, you know, Western society, we hear stories like this, or even like Paul. And we think, well, that's, that's so radical. That was probably made up, and it's probably exaggerated. It's probably hyperbole in there. We have become so westernized sometimes, we don't allow our hearts to be open to the miraculous of what God would choose to do. As God did it in Paul's life, how he came to him no matter how bad his sin was, God is still doing it for people like ISIS, and there's probably few people that are bigger sinners than most of those people in the brutality of their lives. But also, Paul wants us to know that he recognizes that past religious rituals get in the way of that faith as well. As Paul says in the text, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, among many of my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Paul had memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. As a good Pharisee, he had memorized Scripture. Paul knew about, more about the Bible before he knew Jesus than I know, having known Jesus for 50 years. It's just astounding that he had so much knowledge, but the problem is he was trapped in this religious confinement of behavior to gain favor with God as opposed to a relationship with a Jesus who gives us grace to set us free. And there are a lot of people that are trapped up in religion. The institutional relationship with God. It could be in a church like Calvary. It could be in a Baptist church, a Methodist church, a Lutheran church, a Catholic church or a Mormon church, or a Jehovah Witness church, all those churches, all of us, including us, sometimes have religious things that prevent us from seeing the true Jesus. And we're so caught up in the rote and the ritual 
that we can't see the reality of who Jesus is. And it's tragic because man adds to it the gospel. Man takes away from the gospel. Some people are saying health-wealth gospel. They add to the gospel the health-wealth gospel. They have other things they want to add to it, and you get caught up in those things as opposed to the person of Christ. Now, I was struck by that as a wonderful story. Many years ago, when Joy and I were in Dallas, Texas, we went to school there, I love to read the newspaper, and I clip out articles that uh, strike me as unique and interesting. So way back in 1970, uh, about five, before most of you were born, uh, in 1975, I clipped this article out of the Dallas Morning News, where we, I get that every day. It's a story about Dr. James Zumberg. You probably don't know him, but at that time, he was the president of the Southern Methodist University, SMU. My nephew's wife is a professor there at that school, so we sometimes hear about it more now. He was also the president as a result of Perkins School of Theology. Well, as he arrived in Dallas to take over that lofty position at SMU, the newspaper picked up this little side story. Zumberg told a group of local businessmen here Tuesday about his encounter downtown with an elderly woman who was ringing a bell at a Salvation Army collection station. After Zumberg put some money in the army's kettle, the woman asked him if he was saved. And when he said he was, he said, I suppose so. Well, she pursued that. She says, I mean, have you given your life, your full life to the Lord? And Zumberg decided he had to better enlighten the lady by telling her who he was. He said, I am the president of SMU. And he said, as such, I am also the president of the Perkins School of Theology. The lady thought about that for a moment and then insisted, it doesn't matter wherever you've been, whatever you are, you can still be saved. <laughs> she gets it. And not to run down Dr. Zumberg, I'm sure he's a wonderful man. But isn't that classic? The position that I have, the things that I've achieved, my role in this world, the things that I have done, they give me status before God. And this is this religiosity that people believe in, this, this institutional joining in, this camaraderie of, of a community of religion, and that somehow that gives me cover for God. And Paul is saying, I'm not caught up in Judaism. There was no better Jew. You read Philippians 3. There was no better Jewish man in the world living in that day than Paul. There was no one more, more strictly keeping the rules and the laws of Judaism, including the memorization of the Torah, than Paul. But he says all of that, in fact, in Philippians 3, if you read it, he says it's all garbage. It's rubbish. Those things had no bearing on the relationship that I have with God today. So I emphasize for our sake and for our sake, please, don't ever begin your testimony of beginning your life with Jesus, of joining the church, being part of a denomination when you were baptized. Those are good things, but they are part of the religiosity 
of a faith that is lacking in Jesus Christ. So, former way of life. No sin too great or small. Former way of life. No religious institutional relationship with God counts. Those things go away when you come to Jesus and you have your true conversion. And Paul talks about that true conversion. Back here is the screen shot of that verse. But when God, see, that's all about God's initiation of this, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Three things about Paul's conversion. Number one, God did three things. God set him apart. God called me. God revealed Jesus, his son in me. God must do that to be saved. It's not what I do. It's not what I say. It's not what someone else says. It's what God does. It's God initiated. So God set him apart even from my mother's womb. That's astounding. Think about this. God watched Paul or Saul at the time be born. He's born. Mom gives him the name of Saul. Saul grows up, memorizes the Torah, learns all about Judaism, a righteous, self-righteous Pharisee walking before God like his father Abraham would be so proud. And then Saul says, you know, there's this upstart guy named Jesus who's trying to steal away our Jewish people. And then this thing called the church begins to take place. And I'm sick and tired of these people making inroads into Judaism. They're blaspheming our God to say that Jesus is the Messiah. So Paul goes around murdering people who are followers of Jesus. All that time, God's watching Paul murder his children. People like you and me, if we lived in that day, we would be killed. Paul's watching that. I mean, God's watching that all the while. Think about it. And God says, but Paul, I've set you apart to reach those people. This is, the, this is hard to understand. How can God watch Saul kill people that he set him apart to reach? It's astounding. So when you look at people that you know that aren't walking with Jesus, it could be your children, it could be your neighbor, it could be your boss, and they're not walking with Jesus. In fact, they're harassing people who do walk with Jesus. They may be very, very mean-spirited against those of us who claim Christ as Savior. Never look at them any differently than God chose to look at Paul or Saul when he was at that day and said, but I've still got my eye on you. I have plans for you. This gives us hope. Think about it. As you pray for loved ones, who don't love Jesus the way you want them to or think they should or the way you do, don't give up on them any more than God gave up on Saul because he says, I've got plans for you. For most of your growing up years, Saul, you have rebelled against my son Jesus. But I still have plans for you. It shows the work of God. It's not what I do. It's what God does. He set them apart. We see that in Jeremiah. We see it in Isaiah. We see it in Ephesians chapter 1, where before the foundation of the world, he called us to be saved. So God does these mighty things. And then he called him into this through his grace, because his grace is what is needed. It's not based upon what Paul does. It's based upon what God does. God gives him grace to overcome the sins of his life. And then finally... 
that he might reveal Jesus, as we said. In Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul has the heavens open up and Jesus' light shines down and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not that he needed an answer because he knew, but that he wanted to challenge the very heart of Saul. So God changes him. And this conversion takes place here. And there's this post-conversion life that then begins to take place in his life. And there's four things I notice in the text that he gives to us, and they are these. In Galatians 1.16, because I want you to preach my message, my gospel, to the Gentiles. So instead of persecuting and throwing in jail and killing my children, I want you to go help them get saved. So God has a plan. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has a plan. He wants you to unpack that plan. That is, first of all, you grow in your relationship with Jesus. I didn't immediately consult with flesh and blood. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go and get counsel from godly people. But for Paul's sake, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. For three years, for three years he goes to Arabia, and Jesus tutors him, trains him. He teaches Jesus teaches Saul, you know, you know in the Old Testament where uh, the feasts and the, and the uh, festivals of the Judaism were, were practiced and you were very faithful at doing that? Well, actually, all of those feasts, they, they actually were talking about me. And Saul's going, wow, I didn't know that. You know, Isaiah 53, Jesus would be talking to Jesus, would be talking to Paul. Now, I don't know, I wasn't there, but I think it would be something like this. In Isaiah 53, it talks about all my sheep have gone astray and that I've died on that cross for them. Saul, I don't, know, I don't know how you couldn't see it, but it was all about me. And Saul's going, wow, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that was about you. I was so caught up in my Judaism, but I couldn't see Jesus. And, that, and so Jesus would take him verse by verse from the Bible, from the Old Testament, and help him to understand in Arabia for three years. It's interesting that a lot of seminaries are three-year schools now. It takes three years to begin to just have a beginning start with that. So you want to grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. You want to connect with other spiritual leaders. So as he came to Peter, call him Cephas here, but his name is Peter, the Apostle Peter. He also connected with a brother of uh, Jesus, half-brother, I should say, James. So when you come to Christ, you have to connect with godly people that help you get oriented to what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. It's very basic, simple stuff. And he wanted to let them know that I am no longer the persecutor the murderer, I am now one of your brothers, which is an amazing thing. And then thirdly, wants to have impact on other people's lives, but they kept on hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. People, the rumor mill is ripe with the story of Paul's change. So people say, man, we, we can't believe this guy. Has it really happened this way? The impact on others. And then finally, they began to glorify God. Your story should glorify God for what God has done, not for what you did, but what God has done in and through you. Now, let me wrap up with another story. I'm going to invite Tina to come on up here. Tina Holland is going to join us at this point. And uh, let's give Tina an appreciation applause as she comes on up here. And there's a big, big step up there. Tina is the uh, director of our preschool here at Calvary. Uh, church and has done a great job. This is reviewing that since 2002, 15, about 15. This is my 15th year. 15th year here. And so uh, it's done a great job and you're always maxed out. It's like waiting list, aren't there? To waiting get. List. So if, if you're pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant, you need to get on the waiting list now. 
because it might take that long to get there. So thank you for the, for the good work that you did. Thank you. And uh, Tina, uh, we, we have, a, I don't know if you know this, we have a staff chapel uh, every Tuesday morning where various staff will get up and share things. And uh, about a month or so ago, Tina got up and shared her testimony of how she came to know Jesus Christ. And I'd never heard it before. And uh, it was interesting to me that Tina said that, uh, if you don't mind me saying this, that you had never shared your testimony before as well. Forty years. Forty I years. Had. Wait, let me see if this thing is... Are we on? Check, one, two, one, two. <laughs> Check. Let me, uh, let me get the other one. Um, so she spent all that time... There we go. I hear this one's working. Okay. And finally shared her testimony. I was so taken by your story. And this is the thing. We all have a story to tell, and it's important that we tell the story of what God has done in our lives. So I invited Tina to come on up here. Uh, and so I thank you for coming up here. It's not always an easy thing to do. This big, you know, room. And, but look how friendly everybody is. You're all so friendly. You're all smiling. Smiling? Wake up your neighbors. Tell them to smile. Um, and anyways, um, tell us a little bit about how your journey for knowing Jesus Christ occurred. Okay, well, I t- gave my testimony a few months to our uh, church staff, and I have not told my testimony in 40 years. And, um, and then Dave asked me to come and speak to you, my church family, so this yeah. is my second time I'm go. telling my testimony. So you got it down by now. So. I have it down. <laughs> I was raised, my mom and dad, uh, by my parents, and my dad was Catholic, my mom was Presbyterian, but my dad raised us in a Catholic church. So First Holy Communion, First Confirmation, went to church, good Catholic that I was, um, but a rebellious teenager. My brother died when I was in seventh grade, and my parents fell apart. Not knowing the Lord, they had really nothing to hang on to, and so they kind of went within themselves. So my sister and I kind of did our own thing. So partying, ran with the wrong crowd, did things I shouldn't have done, hung around with the Haitians, and they got in a turf war with the Hells Angels. The Haitians? Haitians. And I thought, "Mm, this is not the crowd I think I need to hang out with. Haitians and Hells Angels. (laughs) Yes. So did some crazy things that I shouldn't have done. Really? But now, over the years, I see that God has put his hand upon me and kept me safe for a reason. Mm. Um, Thought, okay, different crowd, went out night clubbing and had a lot of fun. I really didn't get in too much trouble. Stayed in high school, did fairly good and got good grades. We had a curfew as much as my parents tried to keep us in a curfew. And Friday night, um, one o'clock curfew. I came home Monday morning, probably about 4.30 in the morning. So really broke curfew. Wow. My dad was on his way out uh, to work. And he, I'm walking in. He's walking out. And he just hugs me. And he holds me. I could feel his body shaking. And he says, what's killing me is you're killing yourself and I can't save you. Wow. And I thought, hmm, my lifestyle is really affecting other people other than myself. And I was having a good time. So I didn't realize it was all so negative. Yeah. Got in a fight with my mom, went to my cousin's house, and she says, you can live with us, but you have to go to church with us. We go to Anaheim Baptist Church in school where the kids go, and we go every Sunday to take the kids to church. Great. Go to Mass. No big deal. I'm a good Catholic. I can go on Sundays. Went there. We heard the gospel, and driving home with her, she says, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you believe he died on the cross? Yes. He rose again? Yes. Died for your sins? Yes. You're saved. I thought, yay. She goes, you're going to get baptized. All right. 
Thought I was done before I got sprinkled, but let's do it again. <laughs> so called up a girlfriend says, hey, meet me at church. I'm getting baptized. I'm saved. She goes, okay, great. Then we'll go out. I go, yeah, sounds great. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we uh, take some drugs that we'd been used to taking, and we go into this small room, and we walk in, and there's the water, and there's our pastor. And walk in, and, the, and I turn around, and there's the whole church. I went, oh, it scared me. I'd never seen a bapti- baptism before. And he asked me the questions, you know, do you know Jesus did, you know, and yes, knew all that. I'm a good Catholic, did all of that. And I got baptized and blew my hair out. We went partying. <laughs> so, and you were, you were loaded with drugs at that point, At right? that time, yes. So you were, you were high. <laughs> Pretty high. Not in Jesus. <laughs> Not <though>. in Jesus. <laughs> um, it was just another experience. Yeah. I was into adventure, as you can tell, some of the yeah. things I've said on my testimony. Um, but still went to church on Sundays. But in that, I would hear the gospel, and I knew something was missing in my life. And about, I would say about a couple months later, in my room, I knew Jesus. I knew about him. I knew of him, but I didn't know him personally. And the Holy Spirit just knocked on my heart, and I gave my life over to Christ, got on my knees, confessed my sins, and received him into my heart. My life changed so drastically. My parents wanted to have me kidnapped and deprogrammed. Oh. <laughs> they thought I joined in a cult. <laughs> yeah. But my life changed. I lost all my desires for the world, and oh. I just wanted to follow him. And for 40 years I have, and I haven't given out really my testimony because I always thought my sin was under the blood. And my favorite testimonies are those that kids that got saved, went through junior high, high school, college, and never walked away from the Lord. Not that they were perfect, but they didn't walk away. And I thought, wow, now that's the power of Jesus in their lives every single day, living in the world but not becoming of the world. So I never gave my testimony because I just loved the other side of that testimony. Mm. And in my small group, I, if you're not in a small group, get in one because you really grow in that. One of the girls was giving her testimony to another set of ladies, and I thought, wow, what an honor it is to share her life and what Christ has done for her to other women. And I thought, I can do that. And then I was asked to do chapel for um, our staff, and I gave my testimony for the first time. And so thank you for allowing yeah. me to share it again. It's had an impact. You had, a, what, a friend that came to you and asked about? Well, actually, it was my sister. My sister. life had changed, and she was still out partying and just doing other things. She has RP, retinitis pigmentosa, which is making her go blind. Hmm. And she said to me one day, she said, Tina, if I could just have your life for one hour— I could have the rest and the peace that you have. And I go, you can. It's just in Jesus. And she goes, I don't know if I want to change yet. I go, but you'll have that peace. That passes all understanding. You don't understand it, but that peace is there. When things go wrong in my family, they call me to pray. They know the difference. And my friends, it's just amazing the opportunity that God has given to me just by my lifestyle change. And uh, falling in love with him is just amazing. I would never change that for the world. And that grace that he's given, it's still beyond my comprehension, the grace he gives me every single day. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, it is powerful. Thank I you, love Tim. him. Thank yeah. you. We're so thankful for what God has done in your life. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that very much. All right, thank you. Yeah, thank you.
while there, I was thinking, boy, there's a budding preacher right here, huh? That's good. You know, some of us have boring story, stories. Tina was talking about people who have grown up in the church. I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor, as many of you know, in Phoenix, Arizona. I, I don't have so much of a before. <laughs> By before, as let's see, uh, I refused to turn off the TV cartoons when mommy told me I should. And I, I rebelled at that moment. And, oh, boy, what sin. You know, th- that's about like the extent of the pre-Jesus days. But the conversion was slow, and not until college did I make a full-on commitment. I just want to let you know that whatever your story is, if you're like me, you grew up in the church, it may be that you're trapped in religiosity as I was, in legalism. I grew up in legalism. Or maybe you, with Tina, you grew up in drugs and alcohol and friendships that were inappropriate. We just want to encourage you to make sure you've had that true conversion because there's so many people that just utter the words, as you heard from Tina, where you say, oh, yeah, I believe all that. But it's not the Spirit of God makes that change. And we would love to help you experience that full-on change that God wants to make in your life. As he made it in Paul's life, he made it in Tina's life, he's made it in my life, he can make it in your life. We'd love for you to make that change. and let, I should say, let God make that change. It's not what you do, it's what God chooses to do in you. And that way, it's not joining the church, not any kind of religious stuff. It's just a relationship with Jesus. We'd love to encourage you to do that. Let me pray for us. We're going to receive communion. It's an opportunity for us to really engage in the person of Jesus, that his body, his flesh, his blood, his flesh and blood, crucified on that cross. And so he says, never forget what I've done for you. And so he gives us this opportunity to remember in a tangible way the communion we can have with the holy God through Christ. Let me pray for us as we prepare our hearts. Father God, I pray that you would help us to continue to live for you. Many, I'm sure, in this room already know Jesus. They have a story of your work in their lives. And maybe they've never told your, their story to anybody else. God, I pray that you would put it on their heart to tell the story of what my life was once like of what Jesus did to change me and how I've grown ever since. God, I pray that you would impress upon each of us to be able to tell our story for the sake of others because it's to the glory of your name as we saw in Paul's day. It glorified God that he told his story in the writing of the letter to the Galatians. God, may we write out our story to glorify your name as well. And we know that our story pivots on the person and the life of Jesus Christ, his death upon that cross, his burial, and his resurrection. That's the gospel. We believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And now, Father, we come with these elements that you've commissioned, the bread and the cup, to remember the life you lived that you want to live in each of us. Father, thank you for this as we bring it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take the bread first. It it really symbolizes that precious body, that human flesh of Christ. And so let's give thanks. God, thank you for this bread. Thank you for the remembrance that we can have of Jesus' human flesh living life the way we do. In Jesus' name, amen.